Is it too much to say, Frank, that Satan seems to have a heightened hatred for women? You know, that's absolutely true. And not only that, but he has a hatred for men who exalt the place of a woman. They were not expecting that their king would come riding humbly on a donkey. They did not expect he would be born the way he was. They did not expect him to be running around wreaking trouble by loving all these people that were on the outskirts of life. And so he was constantly bewildering everybody. There is a real push from the world system to have women reject their feminine nature, to have women reject their femininity and to become like and act like men. And there is a real push for men to reject their masculinity, their masculine frame, who God made them to be, and to actually adopt a feminine energy and feminine nature and feminine ways. And it's kind of a perversion in the mind of God. This is very strong uh, in the youth. I only hear a few Christians talk about it and point it out. Hey there, my friend. Welcome to the podcast today. Here's my question. Has too much of church world or of Christianity, perhaps especially in America, misrepresented Jesus about women, to women and to men about women in both the church world's messaging and practice? Mary DeMuth and Frank Viola, so pleased to have them on the podcast again today. This is part two of our conversation. I encourage you really to go back to the previous episode, episode 180. You can listen to this one now and go back and catch that one. Their book, The Day I Met Jesus, The Revealing Diaries of Five Women in the Gospels. In that first part of the conversation, we discussed women were all around the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so why was it women who were prolific around the resurrection? They were the first witnesses of the resurrection, the first evangelist of the resurrection. They reported the resurrection to the 11 who wore in hiding. While I think a new order was emerging, Jesus was doing a Genesis recall. And it's about the image of God in both man and woman. Let me welcome you, Brian Del Turco, Jesus Smart, the podcast. This is episode 181, part two. Jesus is good news for women with Mary DeMuth and Frank Viola. These are seasoned, powerful, national and international kingdom voices. I know them to be highly authentic in their experience with Jesus Christ and in their ministries. You can catch the show notes page for this episode. You can stream it a bunch of links. You can learn more about Mary DeMuth and her work and also Frank Viola and his work at jesussmart.com slash goodnewswomen. In this episode today, we're going to talk about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's a fascinating understanding and realization of what was most likely happening there. Frank Viola believes it was definitely happening. I always thought those were two men. He says it was Cleopas and Mary, a husband and wife team, And after Jesus showed himself to Mary Magdalene in the garden after the resurrection, a type of Eve, can we see here that he's now encountering Cleopas and Mary as a type of both Adam and Eve? We look at the Proto-Evangelium, Genesis 3.15, the first mention of the gospel of the kingdom. And I asked Frank, and he agrees that Satan has a heightened hatred of women. It even leeches into the church. Don't misunderstand me, but I pose this question. Was Jesus a holy feminist? Well, I'm glad you're with us. I think it's one of the major edges the Holy Spirit is animating today as he brings restoration to the church. 
Do you see echoes of Eve in this encounter, uh, Mary, with uh, Mary Magdalene and, um, and Jesus? Well, sure. And as you mention it, you think about, you know, Eve is in the garden with the serpent who is definitely evil and um, lying and all of that kind of stuff. And then now you have Mary uh, who has been delivered of those things um, and, and now is completely reborn. So she had an encounter with the demonic was delivered from the demonic witnesses, the, the, life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. And now, even though she has this demonic background, she's a witness to the resurrection. Like what, what better way to describe that when Jesus says, I've come to do one thing, I've come to destroy the works of the evil one. It's right there. Mm-hmm. Frank, uh, as, you know, as I was looking at the, at the book, it caused me to drill a little bit into Mark 16, the account in Mark 16, specifically verses 9, 12, and 14. In verse 9, it says, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, whom he had cast yeah. out the seven demons. And then in verse 12, it says, after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. That was the road to Emmaus, right? Cleopas and Mary. And then verse 14, it finally says, afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves. And as they were mm-hmm. reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. So, Mary, the husband of... I've never heard this before from Luke 24, that I've always thought these were two men (laughs) walking to Emmaus. You know, I just assumed it was two men. But And I know there may be some differences of opinion in this in biblical scholarship, perhaps. Maybe you could speak to that. But do you believe that it was a husband and wife team, Cleopas and Mary? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, And some of the best scholars in the world agree with that. We have a footnote that goes into some of that, I believe, in the book. But the story of Emmaus is remarkable because what you have is you have the resurrected Jesus who is incognito. You know, these two disciples, and they are disciples of the Lord. They had been following him. They don't recognize him. And what he ends up doing in their discouragement, because, you know, the game was over. I mean, Jesus, the person uh, in whom they had put all their hopes, and dreams was was crucified and shamed publicly, uh, and so for them, you know, the story the story has ended. Uh, the music is over, uh, to quote Jim Morrison. Uh, and uh, what happened though is he's talking to them and he's walking with them, and and what he's doing is he's telling the story. He's telling the biblical story, right, uh, in a way that they'd never heard. He's telling it differently. He's, he's telling it in a fresh, remarkable way. And the result is that their hearts are burning within them. And that's exactly the kind of effect that ought to happen when we open up the scriptures and unveil Jesus Christ. Mm. You know, all the hyperlinks of scripture, <laughs> uh, all of them, if you click on them, they point to Jesus. Mm. Um, you know, if you, if you cut into the Bible, it's going to bleed Christ. Yep. He's everywhere. And so he's showing himself in the Psalms, in the prophets, in the law. Their hearts are burning within them. And then he, he, he's invited to come in and uh, sup with them. And the language is very interesting. This gets back to the garden that Mary was talking about. But it says that when Jesus took the bread and he broke it, it says their eyes were open and they knew. Well, that's almost a direct quote from Genesis when 
the first humans sinned and fell. It said their eyes were open and they knew. Right. Their eyes were open and they knew they were naked. But here, their eyes were open and they knew it was Jesus. And so the point there is that Jesus is overturning the fall. Yeah. Wow. He's hitting reset. (laughs) And Luke is telegraphing that by the language. The other thing that's remarkable, too, is, is if you think about what was it that caused their eyes to be open, to recognize it was Jesus? Well, think about it. You're looking at this man. He's He's taking the bread with his hands. He's breaking it, right? And when you break bread, now your palms are up. Their eyes were directed to his hands. They were looking at his wrists. Hmm. They were looking at his palms. They saw the wounds. And their eyes were opened. And then he vanished. So it's a powerful story of Christ, how he reveals himself to us. You know, Um, if we look for the wounds, we will see our Lord. Mm. Yeah. The body and blood of the Lord and and the revelation and the experience of him, the encounter, right, that's available through that. So you're seeing something here. Right. And I just really, I mean, the cross, I, you know, we have to say as Christians that the cross and the, the resurrection of Christ are central. It's the irreducible minimum of the gospel of the kingdom, right? It's central to what God is doing. And all around it are these women. And this hyperlinked back to Genesis, it seems that he's, Jesus is talking to Mary Magdalene, and there seems to be an Eve connection there. And then to Cleopas and Mary, there seems to be an Adam and Eve connection there. And then later, the 11, the early apostles of the church, the governmental apostles, the foundation, if you will, Jesus seems to be interested in uh, Genesis and in restoring things here. In Genesis one twenty six, Mary, when it says, you know, God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, let them have dominion. So God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. It goes from him to them. We know that Eve was taken from the side of Adam. And then God blessed them. God said, fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, have dominion over. What would you say, Mary, just about the imaging of God in both male and female? You know, it seems that the community of the Godhead is creating the community of a marriage initially, but I think it also just speaks to community. What would you say about this? Well, I think it's it's important that both bear that image. And when we forget about the image of God or Imago Dei um, in other people that differ from us, that's when we fall into uh, demonizing other people. Um, that's certainly been... Uh, pressed toward women. It's been pressed toward minority groups. It's been used when we forget that the image of God rests in each person. That's when things go haywire. And so, yeah, I mean, you look at the creation of humankind and it's because of, uh, you know, as as the uh, scholars have said, the, the divine dance of the Trinity that lived in um, utter community and the celebration of that community was to create community. And so we represent in a way um, that that divine dance, we are as male and female, we represent the characteristics of our creator. Um, 
and you see this male female imagery throughout the whole bible and of course you see it as well in uh Jesus as the head of the church. The church is often called the bride of Christ. And uh, and then, of course, we see female and male imagery in the book of Revelation as everything kind of ties up in the end. So I guess what I would just say is that we need to remember that the image of God rests in both, that the glory of God is there. And therefore, because of that, it should inform the way that we treat uh, men and women in this world, no matter how they differ from us, no mm. matter how we might differ politically from them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or have a different experience, that image of God within a person causes them to to need our kindness and our compassion and our love and our uh, dignifying of them. Um, so I guess that's what I, where I would camp on that. Oh, yeah. And I mean, obviously, this will inform our view of women, that Jesus is good news for women, right? The image of God, peace, how he surrounded the, the you know, the, the central focus of his resurrection and uh, crucifixion, all with women, how it unfolded, the t- timing and the sequencing. It's not random, is it? It's all sovereign communication that's happening. The garden with Mary Magdalene, Cleopas and Mary, eventually going back to the disciples more questions for you here. And you know what? It's good to do a little bit of theology, isn't it? And a little bit of a deeper biblical dive if we're going to get things right downstream, right? If we get things right upstream, right? It it just seems that downstream things are better. The so-called Proto-Evangelium, the first mention of the gospel of the kingdom in Genesis 3.15. Is it too much to say, Frank, that Satan seems to have a heightened hatred for women? You know, that's absolutely true. And not only that, but he has a hatred for men who exalt the place of a woman. Okay. So, yeah, both are absolutely true. Um, you know, it, it's fascinating to me, too, because if you if you insert yourself back into the first century, even before that, you find that um, in the ancient world, you know, women were regarded as property, you know, chattel, like cattle and and slaves, um, even in the Jewish world. I mean, in the tabernacle itself, you had something called the woman's court, mm. um, and uh, or the temple rather, and 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 they were limited to that area. And and then fifteen steps above that was the Jewish men's court. <laughs> so the men were given more of a privilege than women. You know, women had no voice in their marriage; they could not initiate a divorce. A divorce only a husband can do that. Um, and when they were not to be seen in public, right? And a man was not to talk to a woman in public. That's why when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, it was a scandal. And the disciples were befuddled, you know, why, why are you talking to her? <laughs> not only is she a Samaritan, which Jews were not to speak to or have anything to do with, but she's a woman. And here the Lord, you know, <laughs> again, he's Showing that he's he's destroying, destroying the tradition, yeah. you know, uh, visibly, and 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 even beyond that, just to show uh, how males viewed women uh, as being inferior to them, Jewish males prayed a daily prayer of thanksgiving, and this is what it sounded like, Brian. Praise be to God, He has not created me a Gentile. 
Praise be to God, he has not created me a woman. Unbelievable. Praise be to God, he has not created me an ignorant man. I mean, oh that my gosh. was the viewpoint in first century Israel. And then Jesus of Nazareth came and turned it all on its head. Unbelievable. Oh, my goodness. I think that Jesus is contending against this, this heightened hatred for women. I guess I want to say that it can very subtly leach into the Christian movement in terms of prejudice or discrimination or dampening down voices, or when it really gets ugly, when they're abused with power or sex and it's swept under the rug. I know that Mary's done a lot of work in that area. This is residual hatred from Satan against women that has leached into our midst. It's just amazing how Jesus is highlighting and underscoring this. Would you call Jesus, I, I know that a feminist is a broad term, but is there any sense in which Jesus is the original, benign, authentic feminist? Is that directed at me? Sorry. Sure. If you'd like to take it, Mary. Yeah. I know it's, I know it's edgy. Feminist in the sense of, you know, authentically wanting to stand up for the rights of women, like, like today it might express itself as equal pay or, you know, equal sure. accessibility, et cetera. No, I definitely believe that. And, uh, and in terms of not just for women, but Jesus was constantly elevating those who are unsuspecting uh, and who are overlooked and who are in the margins of society. And so women just happen to be part of that. Um, and, you know, as well as lepers and people who are blind and uh, people who were kind of outside the commonwealth of Israel. We have the Gentile woman with the crumbs on the table. We've got just Jesus is always telling stories about like the Good Samaritan, the Samaritans are hated, but he he elevates them yeah. and makes them the hero of the story. So his modus operandi was to always kind of turn this this kingdom upside down. They were so intent and so believing that a king would come who would politically reign and uh, vanquish enemies. They were not expecting that their king would come riding humbly on a donkey. They did not expect he would be born the way he was. They did not expect him to be running around wreaking trouble by loving all these people that were on the <laughs> outskirts of life. And so he was constantly bewildering everybody. And then, so that's why I would say he was a feminist, but he was also a um, Samaritanist and he was okay. also a, you know, a brokenist, anyone who was broken. He was, he was pro people. And a lot of times, this is what I'll think about. I'll think as I think about heaven, I think about the time when I get to hear the, the words of Jesus and see him face to face. Mm. And I, I'm haunted by those statements that the first will be last and the last will be first. Mm. And I think about the parable of the banquet where someone tries to sit at the most important seat and they get demoted and how important it is to take the last seat. And I'm wondering just how many, especially in our Christian celebrity culture we have here in the United States, I wonder how many of those, those that seem like they're the first now on earth mm -hmm. are actually the last in line at heaven, in heaven. And, uh, and so we just see that we see Jesus dignifying the, what's the seemingly undignified and challenging the dignified. And 
to me that he was he was kind of leveling the playing field saying the foot you know everything at the foot of the cross is level there's no hierarchies here you're not better than that person or worse than that person right. we're all a bunch of sinners who need grace right um and so that's what i would say he was a lifter of the broken a lifter of those on outcasted a lifter of those who um, actually are very great in the kingdom, but we just don't have eyes to see that. Mm. Yeah, really. It's so awesome. Brian, I wanted to add something as well. Sure. Uh, To uh, your initial uh, statement about the, or actually it was a question about Satan being antagonistic toward women in particular. Of course, he hates all humans because we're made in God's image, but in particular women and um, I'm, re- I'm going to read from Genesis 3.15, and, and I will amplify it. Um, but basically, God is speaking to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity, which is open hostility, contempt, animosity, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Mm-hmm. He will bruise and tread your head underfoot, and you will lie in wait and bruise his heel. And, of course, that's a reference to the Messiah. But here again, God chose a woman through whom to bring the Messiah into the world. So on all fronts, Satan hates women in particular. Uh, but But I wanted to comment on what I see happening in our culture today. Uh, It's very unique. I don't think we've had this happen in the West beforehand, but there is a real push uh, from the world system to have women reject their feminine nature, Mm. to have women reject their femininity, if that's a word, (laughs) Um, and and to become like and act like men. Right. And there is a real push for men to reject their masculinity, their masculine frame, uh, who God made them to be, and to actually adopt uh, feminine uh, energy and feminine nature and feminine ways. And it's kind of a perversion in in the mind of God. This is very strong uh, in the youth. And and I, I only hear a few Christians talk about it and point it out, but if you're a woman, embrace your feminine nature, embrace who God made you because, Hey, you have, you're, you stand in a lineage that is beautiful in the eyes of God. And God has chosen women all throughout from the very beginning until the very end, when it came to Jesus, how he came into the earth, who he spent time with, who his disciples were, who was his first witnesses were, who took care of him to the end, who watched him die, who never left him. When the, when the men, you know, ran out of town, um, you have a lineage that you stand in that is, that is amazing to God the Father. And so I would say to you, don't be ashamed of who you are. Embrace it. Embrace it. And I would say the same thing to men, uh, many of whom have rejected their masculine frame. And I'm not talking about, you know, toxic masculinity whatever that means i'm talking about god made us men and he made us women and so don't be ashamed of who god made you embrace it because it's beautiful in his eyes yeah he certainly chose clear gender to express his image through 
that is obviously under assault today. And I suppose we could say that it's an assault upon the image of God. Any trend lines that you're seeing, Mary, what, you know, what do you project moving forward in the kingdom of God and the church, this idea that Jesus is good news for women? Well, I think in the West, I think there's a lot of stress about women speaking and doing things. But around the world where I'm seeing um, incredible revival and Jesus visiting people in dreams and um, and a lot of times, you know, even in, especially in China where a lot of the male leaders are imprisoned and you have female leaders carrying on the work, I think there is a lot to be said for both genders fulfilling their callings as God leads. And it's frustrating um, to me that uh, we're having all these arguments back and forth when really the question should be, what is Jesus saying to me? And what am I supposed to do to obey him? Mm. And, you know, as a woman who has a preaching gift, this is hard. This is really, this has been one of the most painful things um, for me to kind of endure over the past couple of years. I live in the South. (laughs) So uh, therefore, you know, I can really only use that gift north of the Mason-Dixon line typically. (sighs) (laughs) Honest, I'm honestly, truly, that's, yeah, to a mixed crowd. I can, of course, preach to women, but I can't preach to a mixed crowd um, down here, typically. Typically, yes. That's enough of a demarcation, the Mason-Dixon line for you to observe that and say that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's been some rare occurrences where I will be interviewed on a stage or I will sit on a couch on a stage, but I can't stand behind a pulpit and talk about Jesus if there are men present. And, uh, but I can do that in other parts of the world. I do it all the time in the rest of the world. Um, So it's just a funny little thing that uh, I wonder why there've been so many times in my heart where I've thought, Lord, why did you gift me this way? Why did you give me this gift of preaching and wooing people toward Christ when I can't wholeheartedly use it? And so I pray that some of the work and the hard work and the pioneering work that um, that I've done is paving the way for my daughters who also have callings on their lives for them to be able to preach a little bit more freely than I have. Absolutely. Yeah. How about you, Frank? What are you sensing and seeing trend line wise? What are you projecting? Well, I do see the insurgents increasing um, on a regular basis, more and more people are being exposed to the gospel of the kingdom and, and being altered by it. Um, and I do believe, I have a hope, I guess I would say, that, you know, slowly we're seeing uh, and will see things turn around for the place of a woman in the house of God. And I'm speaking in the United States, I guess, because I do see, you know, like Mary said, you know, there is there is talk in some quarters about this. And and some are putting a, a, sh- a spotlight on it, but but overall, there need, needs to be so much more work done. Um, and you know, Mary just gave an example of, of what she faces um, in her in her speaking. So, but I I am hopeful because you know now with the internet and and blogs and tools and, and books like the Day I've Met Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, these are ways to get the message out. Yep. These are ways to disseminate this revelation, you know, that that God's view of a woman is astounding. Um, I, I was very touched. I guess I was surprised and then touched uh, 
a number of years ago, a uh, I was speaking in a conference and there was a woman who was also a speaker and I had just met her, never talked to her before. And, and when she uh, did her little introduction, she mentioned that she grew up in a church that taught very clearly that women were inferior to men. And this particular church uh, frowned upon uh, women talking to men in public. Oh my goodness. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so she, she gave an example that she was in the, uh, the lobby area sitting down eating something just before the conference started. And some men, brothers who came to the conference to, to hear us, sat down and started talking to her. And she felt so uncomfortable, even though she had been out of that church for years. That was baffling to me. Uh, but then she said something that, that humbled me greatly. And I use this as an example to encourage everybody who is a writer or a speaker, because you don't know the kind of impact you're having. Uh, typically, the Lord will veil a lot of that from you. Uh, but one of the things she said was that she was at a very low, low point in her life. She searched the Internet and she put in the search God's view of a woman. <laughs> and she stumbled on an article that I had written called God's view of a woman, which is on my blog. And she said that totally revolutionized her view of herself. And she's still working on it because she has to be detoxified from all of the damage that was done. But it really liberated her in a major way. And I say that because I, I started crying when I was listening to her say this because I had no idea. You know, I just met this woman. I didn't <laughs> I had no idea if she even knew who I was. And I say that to every person listening, both male and female. If you're laboring for the Lord, you have no idea the degree of impact you have. If you are if your motive is to please God and your motive is to bring glory to him, I can tell you this, he's using you in ways you have no idea. And once in a while, he may pull back the curtain and let you see that. Right. But I do believe back to your question. Um, I do believe that, you know, things are changing. Uh, the soil is shifting slowly, but if we continue to share and we continue to echo and we continue to, to bring this message to God's people and beyond, um, you know, eventually we'll see a major shift. Um, one of the things I would point people to is on the website, thedayimatjesus.com, there is uh, a link in the menu. Uh, it's the Veronica Project, and we talk about it in the book as well. People can go there and listen to some audios from both Mary and I that are related to the book, and there's ways to share the book with your friends. We have banners and tweets and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Get the, sp yeah, spread the news about the book. Yeah, yeah. just to get the message out. And, and right. to those who have never read the book, um, it is unique in that it blends uh, biblical narrative, which is fictionalized somewhat, with you know prose that's totally nonfiction. Yeah, very enjoyable. Yeah, and I think it's a—I mean, I'm very happy with the book. I think Mary did an amazing job. It was it was beyond what I had wanted and expected. So I was very thankful. And I really think the Lord anointed us both to write this. I think it puts the spotlight on Jesus Christ and and brings people nearer to him. At least it's designed to do that. So if you haven't read it, I would really encourage you to read it because um, I think it will touch your heart, whether you're a, a female or a male. It's very Christocentric. It's very Christ-focused. And gift, you know, read the book, gift it to others, share the link that Frank is talking about to the book site. We'll have all these links on a show notes page. 
But this is something we can do, right? To spread the message of an edge like this, a theme like this that the Holy Spirit, we believe, is is pushing on and developing. I think the Holy Spirit's agitating in a good way on several numbers of issues in the church today. I would say that this one is one of the prime ones, just because of the primacy of the issue that it is, male and female, and what we saw all around the crucifixion and resurrection, and the whole Genesis all the way to Revelation imagery, and come on, this is a foundational prime issue. Mary, would you lead us in prayer on this, and we'll agree together with you, okay? Sure. Uh, dear Jesus, thank you for another day of life. Thank you that you have infused all of us with your presence through the Holy Spirit. And thank you that we can be made new every single day, that um, even if we have been weeping for the night, joy comes in the morning. I pray for the person today, particularly listening, who feels defeated and broken and beyond reach. Lord, no one is beyond your reach. And I thank you that you have shown us as you walked this earth that you would find the people who seemed the most broken or the, seemed to be the most overlooked and you brought them into the, into the centrality of the gospel. In our weakness, we can joyfully proclaim that you are strong and you're not out, for, uh, out looking for strong people to build your kingdom and do all these cool things and be all that. Um, you're actually looking for the weak ones. You're looking for the ones who acknowledge their need for you. And so, Lord, we come humbly before you today and we say, we are weak. We need your strength. Would you marry your strength with our weakness? And when you do that, Lord, we give you all the glory. Uh, Lord, I pray for the person listening today who maybe even feels suicidal mm -hmm. and doesn't understand what their life is, what it means, and why they're even here on this earth. Lord, thank you that they have a unique them-shaped place in this universe that you have for them. You have created a very unique ministry that only they can fulfill. Mm -hmm. And Lord, I pray that that thought and that idea that they're created by you would stay their hand and cause them to uh, surrender afresh to you. Mm -hmm. Lord, I thank you that when we surrender to you, you um, you do some amazing, beautiful things. And so, Lord, we corporately surrender right now. We tell you that we don't want our will, but your will to be done, just like you did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we uh, humbly worship you with everything inside of us. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We agree with that. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Frank. Thank you so much for coming together on this episode. It's such an honor and such an important theme. Thank you, Mary and Frank, for carving out time to be with me on the podcast. I just appreciate all of the work that you do, the background that you bring to a conversation like this. Much comes into it, and it's really a high-leveraged opportunity for listeners to glean from your experience and your insight on this topic. The show notes page, again, jesusmart.com slash goodnewswomen, all kinds of links there. Dive deeper on this topic, learn more about Mary, learn more about Frank. You can stream both episodes there, and you can share that show notes page with others. And would you consider doing that? Would you consider just sharing it with one or two of your friends and spread the news? It's part of the restoration, I believe, of what Jesus is doing on this front by sharing content with others. I highly encourage you to read the book. It's been said that if you listen to a podcast two times, your learning goes exponential. It, it goes exponential when you talk it up with others too. You bring this topic up and you begin to discuss it and you learn even more as you share it with others. To learn more about the podcast, of course, jesussmart.com. We have an e-letter that goes out periodically, Next Level Elements to Develop as a Christ Follower and Apprentice of Christ's Kingdom. 
Well, my friend, Jesus is our Redeemer. He is our Savior. He is our atoning sacrifice. He's the most brilliant mind to walk the planet, and he knows how life works best, beginning right now and moving right on into the new heavens and the new earth. Thanks for connecting today. Remember part one, episode 180. We'll catch you next time.